For those who walked in the darkness of guilt, whose souls inhabited a land of shadows and shame, the promise of a child was not new. A child was promised to a sinner in a garden, a son who would crush the head of the servant and restore us to perfection. A child was promised to a king in a vision, a son who would subdue the raging nations and set the world right. God's people could conceive of a light that would shine in the darkness. They could dream of a ruler who would shoulder the weight of justice. But no one anticipated this awaited child, this son, would be the mighty God himself. And yet, this is exactly what the prophet foretold. The transcendent Lord who spoke the universe into existence, the powerful creator who holds eternity in his hands. Too terrifying for Israel to approach, too glorious for Moses to gaze upon, too holy for David to house, would be confined to the body of an infant, would dwell amongst the people he created. The image of the invisible God laid in a manger, the radiance of glory wrapped in swaddling clothes, he who upholds the universe cradled in his mother's arms, here to do what only a mighty God could do. The sovereign is the savior. The giver is the gift. The mighty God has a name. His name is Jesus. Well, hey, good morning. How you guys doing? Thank you guys for worshiping with us this morning. Um, we are in the second week of kind of our series on Advent. I've had to miss the last couple weeks. It's really, really good to be back with you guys. Um, my task is really simple this week. For, for Advent this year, we're doing something a little bit unusual for us. We're focused on one verse for four weeks. And we are looking at a verse from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 9, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And it gives four descriptors of our Savior. He's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Last week, Cal preached on Wonderful Counselor. And um, this week, my task is pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. I've got to preach for 35 minutes on two words, Mighty God. And uh, he said last week, this is important, I don't want you to miss this, our intent, our desire throughout this series is not to teach you anything about Christmas. Most of you, 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 you know the story. The, the, the purpose, the, the, the mission of this series is actually to prepare your hearts for Christmas. So my job is easy, two words, mighty God. The problem is, this isn't in my wheelhouse. This, I, I'm more of a paint-by-numbers guy. I like a little bit of structure. Like, give me a book, give me a series, let me develop some logic, take me to a passage. You throw two words at me, mighty God, that's like a blank camp canvas to me. It's scary. And, and to make matters worse, as I was preparing this week, I, I'm just going to kind of take you back to the beginning of my prep. That was last Sunday night. Um, and I'll just warn you as I go there, I'm going to kind of tell you what was going through my mind, the process of picking the passage that we're going to look at this morning. Um, I, it's, it was, I was in a little bit of a dark spot. I've been battling COVID, mild symptoms, thankfully, for about a week. But last Sunday... Um, I took a test. I was still testing positive. I still had some symptoms. 
Uh, Kristen had to come back into town. My son Calvin was going out of town. She was going to watch her boys, and because of me having this, we didn't want to expose them to COVID. So I drove her home last Sunday afternoon. I drove back up to our home in Bightley, so I was going to spend the next couple days alone. So Sunday night, as I was beginning my prep a week ago, um, I was alone. I was in isolation. And uh, that means I've got to fend for myself. I have limited abilities to do that. And uh, I was fixing myself dinner. That means a DiGiorno Supreme Rising Crust pizza. So I've got that heating up, um, which would be fine if I could taste or smell anything. So the, the, the good news is I didn't have to take the time to pick off the olives. So I had that going for me. So the DiGiorno's in the oven. Um, I was watching a football game, but the football game ended, and when I came back out into the room, uh, the news was on, and I was just watching the news, and what's streaming across the news is basically our hospitals are slammed because of COVID. We're in a situation where our schools are closing because of what happened at the high school in Oxford and copycats and threats, and it looks like our local schools are going to be closed for a couple days. I'm texting with a guy. Um, he had COVID the week before, just like I did, a guy in our church about my same age. But I'm, I'm getting news as I sit there that his symptoms have taken a turn for the worse. His wife has called an ambulance. They are rushing him to the hospital. And uh, my heart's heavy. I, I'm just kind of thinking through that situation, that scenario, as they place him in the ambulance. And she's saying, well, she doesn't know what the next few days, the next few weeks are going to hold. Is, is that goodbye? I've got to pick a passage. We've got to talk about mighty God, something to inspire your hearts towards Christmas. I procrastinate. I call my brother-in-law. He's a pastor down in Orlando. His, him and his son, his son is a youth pastor. His name is Robert. They're leading a youth conference that weekend, about five churches, 200 kids. I want to hear how their youth event went. He tells me, man, it was fantastic. Went really, really smooth. The kids had a good time. Several kids made decisions to give their lives to Christ. So we're kind of rejoicing in that. But then all of a sudden, the conversation turns. And it says, like, listen, after a long weekend and doing that on Friday night and all day Saturday and then church on Sunday, our family's tired. And um, Robert, his son, his wife is looking at a very real diagnosis of ALS in the face. She's 28, two young kids. She goes, long weekend, man, it took its toll on her. Life isn't easy. Life can be hard. It, it can be dark. And so these things are wrestling through my mind. It's like, come on, David, pick a passage. It shouldn't be that hard. I, I let the dog out. I'm stalling. Because in that moment, I, I'll be honest, mighty God, I don't know where to go. I start to think through passages that I could draw your attention to, that I could take you to. And my mind immediately goes back to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 1 and 2, the creation account, Almighty God, His all-powerful creative work on display. But after you get past Genesis 1 and 2, I, I got to tell you, the rest of the book of the Bible, it, it gets kind of dark. By Genesis 3, you've got sin, you've got rebellion, you've got brokenness, separation. The rest of the book of Genesis, you've got family squabbles, you've got murders, you've got brother against brother, you've got people being called from their homes, living in tents, just wandering around. You turn to Exodus, Israel finds itself enslaved. 
and though God rescues them from slavery, the next thing we see is this obstinate, grumbling and complaining people wandering around the wilderness for the next four books. Finally, they get to the promised land, the land that God's promised them, but as soon as they get to the promised land, they want to be like every other nation. They don't even want to follow God. They want a king. So they pick this guy by the name of Saul. He's awful, okay? And then after Saul, we've got David. Now, David's a special guy in the Old Testament. God will make an eternal covenant with David. God loves David, and David is a man that is described as a man after God's own heart. But here's the thing. In spite of the fact that God loves him and David loves God, David can't hold it together. He fails as a husband. He fails as a father. And he spends his entire life at war with neighboring kingdoms and his own kids. Following David is Solomon. That's kind of the mountain peak. That's the apex of Israel's history. With Solomon, you've got a wise king. You've got prosperity. You've got peace. You've got expanded borders. The nation is at the apex of its existence. But it's funny, Solomon's a writer. And this king, even when everything is at its best, you've got to read what he writes because it's kind of dark. He's like, it's all meaningless. It's all vanity. Death's coming for every one of us. I might be raising idiot kids. That's what he writes. He dies. Kingdom splits apart. The rest of the Old Testament is prophets warning Judah and Israel to repent, to turn from their sin, and they never do. And by the time we get to the end of the Old Testament, you've got God's people in captivity, in foreign countries, oppressed by world powers. There's like a 400-year nap between the Old and the New Testament. We wake up to the New Testament, and Rome is the power of the day, once again oppressing the nation of Israel. But God keeps all of his promises in the Old Testament, and he gives the Messiah that has been prophesied through the prophets. And the people are like, nah, that's not the one we're looking for. We thought he'd look different. We got a better idea. And they nail him to a cross. Three days later, Jesus conquers death. He leaves behind an empty tomb and the church age is born. And the minute you get into about three or four, the third or fourth chapter of the book of Acts, guess what you've got? You've got a church under persecution. And through the rest of the New Testament, disciple after disciple, apostle after apostle, persecuted, imprisoned, beaten, killed. And through all of it, Paul's writing from prison, consider it all joy when you encounter many trials. Like, I'm just going to tell you, I don't think the Bible pulls any punches on the realities of the darkness of human existence. Do you? So come on, David, pick a passage. So here's my passage, Exodus 6, okay? Would you turn there with me? But I got to warn you, as you turn to Exodus 6, it starts kind of dark. Moses is having a bad day. The background from uh, the beginning of Exodus, and then I'll lay some of it out for you in Exodus chapter 5. Ex Moses has been called. He's been living in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years, and God appears to him in a burning bush, and he says, hey, here's the plan. You're going to go down, and you're going to approach the most powerful man on the planet, Pharaoh, and you're going to tell Pharaoh to let his workforce, his slaves, go free. That's the plan. 
So in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1, we read this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Verse 2, Pharaoh says, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Next few verses, Pharaoh says, You know what? The problem is Israel's gotten lazy. So here's a new plan. They're going to continue to do the work that I've required them to do, but I'm not going to give them the resources to do it. They can pick their own straw at night. So Israel goes from bad to worse. They're not just working day after day as slaves. Now they've got to work day and night, day and night to accomplish the same tasks. And if they don't get the same amount of work done, they're going to be beaten by Pharaoh's agents. Turn down to verse 21 of Exodus 5. Moses is confronted by his countrymen. Here's what they say. The Lord, look at you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and you have put a sword in their hands to kill us. So Pharaoh's not listening. Moses is hated by his own countrymen. And in this moment, in this dark circumstance, I'll tell you what, Moses has some questions for God. He's going to call God out. Look at what he says in verse 22 of chapter 5. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Hey, God, you're not living up to your end of the bargain. You said you were going to be a deliverer. You haven't been a deliverer at all. Moses is frustrated. He is calling God out. That's the backdrop to Exodus 6. And just in the first couple of verses of Exodus 6, in the midst of all of this darkness, my prayer this morning, my hope for you this morning, is you are going to see something that will change your perspective on everything. You ready for some good news? Okay, Exodus 6, verse 1, let's find it. Look at how God responds to Moses. He says this in verse 1, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. You'll see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand... He will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. So God says something interesting there. He's like, you don't think I can do what I said I was going to do? You don't think I can deliver my people from the hand of Pharaoh? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to place my strong hand on Pharaoh, and what Pharaoh is going to do is he's going to issue the command for them to leave. I'm Almighty God. He's going to do whatever I say. Now, growing up, I was the youngest of five kids. I was the baby in the family. I had three older sisters. They weren't the problem. The problem was my older brother, Keith. Okay? Keith was four and a half years older than me, and if Keith wanted to pick on me or if Keith wanted to torment me, what he would do is he would pin me down because he was way stronger than me, probably still is. And um, he would pin me down. He would grab me by the wrists had me pinned down like this, and then he would make me slap myself with my own hands. Bam, 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 bam. And I would hold my arms as stiff as I could, and I'd try to picture which one he was going to Bam, he'd hit me again, and bam, hit me again with my own hands. Did any of you guys have older brothers? Did they do this kind of stuff to you? So I'm alone. Like, people are shaking their heads, no. So talk to Keith about that. He's here probably. So, so, so here's the interesting thing. That's the picture. 
God is saying, hey, listen, I am so powerful over the power, most powerful man on the planet, he's going to submit to whatever I tell him to do. I'll put my strong on him, and he's going to do whatever I tell him to do. And then read what he says in verse 2 and 3, because this to me is just incredible. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, his God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. I need to develop this for a minute so you don't miss it. Here's what he says. To the patriarchs, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I revealed myself as mighty God. Those words in the Hebrew are El Shaddai. What they mean is that God has sufficient power to accomplish his purposes. Anything that he sets his mind to, he has the power to follow through on. Psalm 115 verse 3 says it as clearly as it can be said. It says, but our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. God Almighty, the Almighty God is ruling this universe with his feet up. He's not sweating, I promise. He can do whatever he wants. His power is sufficient to do whatever he wants to accomplish. And he says, it was his mighty God, it was his El Shaddai that I revealed myself as Abraham, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he goes on and says this. It's such an interesting phrase. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And that would make a lot of sense, except when you go back into Genesis and read the accounts of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that word, the Lord, that's the word Yahweh. It's God's personal name. It's his covenant name. It's throughout the narratives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he says that he revealed himself as mighty God, not Yahweh, but we see both in the account of Genesis of the patriarchs. What's going on here? And I'm going to explain it to you as simply as I can because I think it's really profound and I don't want you to miss it. Here's what God is saying to Moses in this moment. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I gave glimpses of who I am. They saw pieces, they saw glimpses, but they didn't get to see the whole thing. And guess what, Moses? You're going to get to see more than they ever saw. Here's what God is saying. Across the dark backdrop of human existence, every generation through the centuries, God is painting. He is painting a mosaic, generation after generation after generation, revealing more and more of who he is, of his character, of his power, of his love, of his justice, of his compassion. Every generation gets to see more than the prior generation. And Moses, you and the nation of Israel, they're going to see more than the patriarchs could have ever dreamed. Think about what happens just in the next few weeks, months, years in Moses and Israel's life. They'll see the plagues come against Egypt. They'll see God accomplish exactly what he said that he would do. Moses will issue the decree, get these people out of here. Then he'll change his mind, he'll chase them down, and God will part the Red Sea. These these people are going to witness it all. He's going to lead them through the wilderness. He's going to provide for them. And throughout the course of Moses' lifetime, God will keep every promise that he made to Moses because he's a mighty God. And he will see more than the patriarchs could have ever dreamed. He goes on in verse 6 of Exodus 6, and he says this, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. 
and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you. They wandered it. I will give it to you for a possession, for I am the Lord. God says, you don't think I have the power to accomplish the things that I said I was going to do? You watch me. And then if I can just go forward for a minute to the New Testament, while all of this is historically true, it took place, the New Testament tells us that all of this is a historical metaphor. It is a picture that as God was able to free his people from slavery in Egypt, he also has the power to free us from the slavery of sin. It's a historical metaphor of what he's going to do in the future that we can understand in our day that the patriarchs only saw glimpses and that Moses only understood a piece. The big idea this morning is simply this. Don't miss the lights this Christmas. Don't miss the lights this Christmas. Three implications of this that I want you to consider. Here's the first. The light of Christmas is all around us. Look for it. If I take you back to Isaiah 9, where we find those four descriptors of Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, just a few verses before in Isaiah 9-2, we read this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. What is the light that Isaiah is talking about? What is this light that is piercing through the darkness? Well, it's Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, verse 7. And the increase of his government and the peace, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Hear this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts. Here, here's what that word zeal means. That every day when we wake up, not every day when God wakes up, he never sleeps, right? But every day when we wake up, here's God's mission. Here's the thing that he's zealous about. Here's the thing that he's looking to accomplish. He is painting across the canvas of human history a display, a mosaic of who he is. That he is mighty God. And he's not just painting Isaiah 9, 6, that he's doing it for us. The light has shown to us. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. In Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah is given a glimpse of a promised Emmanuel, this baby, this mighty God coming as an infant that Moses would never understand. More is revealed to the prophet Isaiah than the patriarchs ever knew. And here's the cool thing. If that's true, if God is painting across the history of time, revealing himself, I think that means that as we sit here today, we got the absolute best seats. We got the absolute best seats. Because most of the painting is already done. Now, we don't have the ability, I can't take you back and let you witness creation. That's already done. We can observe God's handiwork, but that part of the painting is complete. 
Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2 says it this way. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to his fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So creation is complete. That part of the mosaic is done. The gospel is complete. Jesus has come. He's lived. He came as a baby. He lived a perfect life. He died in our place. He took God's wrath as our substitute. He defeated death. He left the tomb empty. He rose from the dead. That part of the picture is already painted. Previous generations couldn't see it before the time of Christ. We can look back on it and see it in all of its majesty and beauty. But here's the cool thing. God's still painting today. There's a day soon coming where God will set the brushes down. The painting will be complete. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, there are things that we see dimly today that we will see clearly in eternity future. The painting will be complete. There will be no need to trust. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The painting will be done. We live in this incredible moment of time where we can look back on the almost completed mosaic, but we can still see the master painting today. Please don't miss it this Christmas. Because if you look, it's all around us. So, I got COVID the Friday after Christmas. Early the following week, I think it was Tuesday, I went back and got an infusion at Noach. My symptoms were pretty mild and I went and got the infusion. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do after infusion. I'm not really not even supposed to sure what you're supposed to do with yourself 10 days isolated. Like, <laughs> so I went hunting. That's what I did. And uh, so I got the infusion in the morning. I went hunting Tuesday afternoon. I, I, I'm sitting in a cornfield under a tree. And quite honestly, by the time I got there, I was already kind of exhausted because of the COVID. But I'm just resting against the tree. It's cold. I'm huddled against this tree, hoping that some deer come out in the field. And um, all of a sudden, I look to my west. And it's the beginning of December. The sunsets are early and they're fast. But the sky, man, it was on fire. And I'm looking to the west and I'm looking at those colors in the sky and I'm like, almighty God on display. And I look over to the east and the sky's already getting dark. I know I don't have a ton of sunlight left, but I can already see that the moon's coming up. I can already see that darkness is going to fast approach. And I'm kind of looking up in the skies. I look out in the field and there's three deer. I don't even know where they came from. I wasn't paying attention. I should have been. And they're just standing out in the field and I'm looking and going, can I make that shot? They're still a little bit far away and they're, they're just does. I'm just watching. And I'm looking at the contrast between God displaying his almighty power in the heavenlies and the fact that he takes care of these animals in a field. And then it happened. A couple other deer come out from the edges of the woods around the cornfield. And then the next thing I knew... It was like a marching band taking the field. 35 more deer come out. I'm surrounded by 38 deer. I got does, I got fawns, I got bucks. I got two bucks, they're, they're head to head. They're not really fighting, they're just kind of playing. They're rattling their horns, they're clicking away and I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm just taking it all in. I think that's when I realized I wasn't a hunter because I never thought of... <laughs> grabbing my gun. It was, it was right there. I was, I was just kind of gripped in the moment by a brush stroke of a God displaying his mighty power. 
On Sunday, as I was driving Kristen back into town, we had to swing by Sam's Club on Sherman in Muskegon, and thankfully, that's a place that I just don't go um, because we're past the bulk shopping stages. Our kids are out of the house. But I dropped Kristen off. She had to pick up some COVID test kits, and um, she runs in. I'm trying to navigate the car so I can pick her up quickly when she comes out, and coming out of Sam's Club is this this mom, and she seems a little frazzled. She's got um, three kids. She's got like a four or five-year-old. She's holding him by the hands. It's snowing outside. There's cars everywhere. The four or five-year-old's holding what looks like a two-year-old. Then she's got some other kids strapped to her in some kind of harness, trying to navigate her grocery cart back to her car. And um, she's looking around. She's trying to keep the kids from running out into traffic. And one of the kids looks up and says something to her. I don't know what he said. I was too far away. I was just in my car. But it must have either been funny or snarky because she starts laughing. And, and she picks him up and she grabs him and she gives him a big hug. And I'm witnessing a mighty God care for his children through the love of a mom. Kristen and I, last week, we couldn't be at church. We're sitting up in Bightley. And interesting thing on the internet, if you have like satellite internet like we have up there, kind of lousy reception, you can watch our services. It's just really grainy and low quality. The internet knows how to downgrade so that you can still live stream it. Crazy. So we're watching the broadcast, and my wife looks at me as we're sitting there. She's like, you seem a little emotional. I'm like, back down, woman. <laughs> She's like, is it, is it, is it menopause? And I'm like, no, I'm getting old. I, I don't know if that's what it is. Like, I, I don't know. And it wasn't that I missed being there. And quite honestly, I wasn't even moved by the music. But as I watched the service, it was interesting. Spring Lake on this end was Joelle. And I think next to Joel was Missy. And I think in the middle was Carolyn, who I've had the privilege of doing ministry with for 12 years. And next to Carolyn was, I think, Landon. And next to Landon was Joanna. Ben was on the drums over there. He, because of decorations, he wasn't hidden back in the cage. And Emo was playing electric and Trevor was there. And what caught me that moment, what, what, moved me. I don't know their whole stories. I just know glimpses of their stories. And as they led worship, what I was gripped by is there's a mighty God still on display taking messy lives just like you and me and transforming them for his glory and accepting the praise of his people. Don't miss the lights of Christmas. This is the season where we can still trust in the Lord. A day's coming, we won't need trust. We live in incredible times. Here's the second thing. Let God have his place. Let God have his place. I don't know if you're still there, but in Exodus 6, I read to you the first eight verses where God reveals himself that he's painting to Moses. And then what happens next is Moses tells the people what God has said, that he will deliver them. And then we read this in Exodus 6, 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. To me, that's a dark verse. That's a sad verse. The darkness of their current circumstances was all that the Israelites could see. And if we're not careful, we can easily fall into the same circumstances. We can look at what's going on in our culture. We can look at what's going on in the world. And if our perspective isn't right, if we're not acknowledging a mighty God, if God doesn't have his place... We can get consumed by the darkness. 
Hey, you, you guys paying attention to what's going on at the Russian-Ukrainian border and the buildup of troops and the accumulation of missiles that are starting to arrive? Do you guys know what's going on there? Here's what's going on. There's an almighty God who's accomplishing his purposes by moving the hearts of kings and its kingdoms to do exactly what he wants them to do. You've seen what's going on in our country? The disarray? The crumbling morality? What's going on? God's painting. He's orchestrating. He's moving nations. Our culture is beginning to look exactly like the culture described in the New Testament 2,000 years ago that will exist before the return of Christ. You don't think God's on the throne? Let God have his place. As you look at the circumstances of your life and where God has you in this season, what's your conclusion? Do you think all of a sudden Almighty God forgot how to paint? That he's lost his touch? That all of a sudden the paints got clumpy? Is that what you're thinking? Or maybe in this season, if we acknowledge that there's a mighty God, we can trust him. Give yourself a gift this Christmas. That burden you've been carrying, that lack of forgiveness, that betrayal, that anxiety, let it go. If there's a mighty God and he's on the throne and he's accomplishing his purposes, here's what that means. We don't have to solve every one of our problems. We don't have to solve every one of our kids' problems. We don't have to have everything explained to us. All we've got to know is this, that there's a God and he'll keep his promises. And right now he's painting, but soon the painting will be complete. Let God have his place. And then here's a final thing. Christmas will not disappoint. Third implication, Christmas will not disappoint. So this is an important week for me. I have to start Christmas shopping. And, uh, you know, we're getting kind of to the end. I got I to get going, right? Now, my wife, she's been shopping since early October. She's been planning since early October. There's already presents all around the tree. She's probably been done for the last four weeks. Christmas tends to sneak up on me. But we have some anticipation. We have some expectations for Christmas. We don't want to be disappointed. But, but here's the truth. Since I got COVID the day after Thanksgiving, right now my son Christopher has COVID. My daughter Catherine has COVID. Christopher's wife Morgan has COVID. And today their daughter Maddie woke up with sniffles and a raspy throat. It's probably going to run through their kids as well. The odds of our family getting together for Christmas this year are getting pretty remote. We weren't able to get together last Christmas either. And I don't know the circumstances of your Christmas this year. I don't know if your turkey's going to be moist or dry. I don't know if your weird uncle in your family is going to show up drunk or sober. Like, I have no idea how your Christmas is going to go. But here's what I can say with confidence. Because there's a mighty God on the throne, Christmas will never disappoint. Let me close just by referencing a verse in Revelation 1. And you got to know, as I go to Revelation 1, the setting's kind of dark. Every character that you know throughout the entire story of the entire Bible, every character that you can name is dead. Just two guys remain. One of them is the disciple John. And John's having a bad day. 
John has been banished. He is on the Isle of Patmos, this rock in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's basically a prison. He is at the end of his life. He is waiting to die. He is there, text tells you, on account of the gospel. And as John sits on this rock, isolated, alone, an old friend shows up. His name is Jesus. And the glory and the majesty and the power of Jesus is on full display. And he shows up in that moment and he comforts John. I want you to hear what he says. Revelation 1.8, God says this, Jesus says this, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We have an Almighty God, Amen. And throughout the course of the darkness of human history, God has been gracious enough to us to paint generation by generation a mosaic that reveals his character more and more to each generation. And this Christmas, we got the best seats. Don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a simple passage in Exodus 6. And we thank you for the promise that one day this painting will be complete. One day we won't have to trust. We'll just look at you as you are and we will see your full glory on display. Father, in this season, give us the courage to trust you. Thank you for being always who you say that you are, a mighty God. It's in the name of your son we pray.